Well, uh, gang, we're going to continue worshiping the Lord through the preaching of his word. I don't want to waste any time at all. I want to invite you to go ahead and grab your Bibles or smart devices and meet me in Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. We're going to be looking at verses 26 through 40. 26 through 40. It, uh, this text can be found on 1562 through 63 of your pew Bibles. Acts chapter 8, we'll start with verse 26 and work our way down to verse 40. All right, this is the reading of God's word. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, And on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. Y'all know what that's like. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants for his life? was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord, and before we consider it, let's go to him and ask him to open up the meaning to us. Father, this is your breathed-out word, sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow, judging the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts. 
Would you take your living and active word that is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God is thoroughly equipped for every good work? Would you take that very word, this text of Scripture, this portion of your gospel, and inject the truth into our hearts that we would come alive? That we would taste and see that you indeed are good. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, and all of God's people said, Amen, Amen. Well, there I was, sitting with three college students in a dorm room at the University of Central Oklahoma. Sorry, not that's where I went to college. University of Memphis. Got a lot of colleges on my mind. So there I was, University of Memphis, with three college students and my boy Brad. And uh, we had been building a relationship with these guys for a while. And uh, there we were, uh, clearly proclaiming the gospel to these three brothers. And each of them was intrigued. I could tell that evening, we had talked to them many times, but on that evening, they were drawn in. And so... As we're sharing, we finish a discussion, and everything goes quiet. And each of these men just began to, tears well up in their eyes. And it was true. It was coming alive for them. They realized what Jesus Christ had done. And they could not help but respond to him. So as these men are pondering this good news, I felt overwhelmed to ask, would you like to come into the kingdom? And so I invite each one by one to to come into the kingdom through Jesus And each responded with repentance and faith. Each gave their life to Christ that evening, and they've never been the same since. Their whole lives were changed. And they're still living out this transformation that the good news of the gospel brings about when it comes down inside of you and comes alive. Amen? You say, why do you start there? I start there because this is a story that describes personal evangelism. Personal evangelism, a one-on-one encounter where you and a fellow other broken individual like yourself or several, you proclaim the gospel to them with an aim to persuade them, that's key, to turn from their sin and all of their jacked up value systems and everything along with it, all of their idols, and rest their faith in Jesus Christ. That's personal evangelism. Nothing fancy. Here's Jesus. Trust him. Personal evangelism. That's the word for this morning because that's exactly what we see all throughout Acts. We see there that evangelism is King Jesus' way. That's how the church grows. It starts off with a few. 
And it grows and it grows and it grows because more and more were added to the number. Why? Because they had power in and of themselves? No, because they had the Spirit of God and the gospel. And when the Spirit of God and the gospel get together, it's good news for everybody. Amen? Amen. And so we see that in particular right here in this story between Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. It's a story of personal evangelism. And and if there was a big idea, it'd be this. This is the big idea for the message. Since personal evangelism is Jesus's way, well, then we must learn how to be his evangelists. Amen. If personal evangelism is Jesus's way, we must learn how to be his evangelists. So I want to share with you three ways Three ways we see, uh, uh, three ways in this text, uh, all of which teach us how we can learn to be Jesus's evangelists. These are sort of like building blocks with the foundation and then the next block and the next block. They all fit together. They build off of each other. And so that's how I want you to take them in as you consider each. So. Let's start with the first one. Since personal evangelism is Jesus's way. We can learn best how to be his evangelist by, first of all. Learning to live in loving union with him. Learning to live in loving union with him. That's how we learn to be his evangelist. And why do I say that? Well, because Philip loved Jesus. I mean, Philip had a close, intimate walk with Christ. Philip lived with his heart open, surrendered, fully attentive to Jesus. You say, where do you see that? Well, we don't see Philip a ton in the scriptures, but everywhere we do see him, he's pretty much talking to somebody about Jesus because the principle's true, right? You talk about who or what you love. You talk about who or what you love. You want to know what someone loves? What occupies their words? What's the content of their speech? Or to say it a different way, who's the content of their speech? Well, for Philip, it was Jesus. Let me prove it to you. I want you to look with me. These references will be on the screen. Just a little flyover of Philip's life from Acts 8. For instance, look at Philip in Acts 8, 5. Philip went down to the city of Samaria, and what did he do? Proclaimed the Messiah there. Go down to verse 4. I'm sorry, verse 12. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. And then the text just keeps going. Look at verse 35 from the text we're looking at this morning. Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture. And what did he do? Once again, he told them the good news about Jesus. And then verse 40, Philip 
however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about. What was he doing? Preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Friends, Philip was like the energizer bunny for Jesus. He just kept proclaiming and proclaiming and proclaiming Jesus some more. That's what he did. Why? Because he loved who he was proclaiming. He couldn't help, but Jesus just rolled off his tongue. Can I say it like that? Jesus was all up in Philip. He had Jesus's DNA in him. And so when he spoke, he liked to talk about Jesus. And he didn't, he, he didn't mind if you didn't want to hear about it. He was going to tell you about him. Why? Because, friends, personal evangelism for Philip was all about sharing with people the one he loved most. You see, in John 15, 5, Jesus teaches his disciples about what it means to live in loving union with Jesus. What does it mean, Jesus? He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Does that mean we can't do anything? Nope, you can do a ton of stuff, but none of it will count for Jesus because it won't bear eternal fruit. You see, you have to be in Jesus to bear the kind of fruit he's talking about, supernatural fruit. And Philip bore it. Philip had fruit bursting forth from his life. You see, because... Jesus lived as the vine, and Philip lived as one of Jesus' beloved branches. He just was down into, rooted down into Jesus, so that out of Philip came living water. You see, I'm afraid we get this evangelism thing backwards at times. You see, we wind up putting the cart before the horse. We put evangelism as primary. That's not what Philip did. Philip's first priority was not evangelism. You know what Philip's first priority was? It was to live in loving union with Jesus. It was to just be close to him, to be intimate with him, to know Jesus and be known by Jesus. Out of which... His evangelism flowed, you see, because Jesus had a deep inner life with Jesus. Evangelism could flow like a waterfall of love out of him to others. Because, friends, the truth is real. You cannot give what you do not possess within. You cannot give what you do not possess within. And you see, somewhere along Philip's life, he discovered that. And he said, I'm going to get real close to my crucified and resurrected Lord. Because when I'm with him, I'm fully satisfied. You see, brothers and sisters, if there's one thing I've, I've learned over the years, as I have exhaust, literally exhausted myself trying to run the pace of Western culture, 
like have tried to keep up and keep up even in ministry. I'm just going to do more ministry. Like just, just set up the outreach. Come on, man. We're going to go share the gospel with these cats around the corner. And I mean, just on and on and on it goes. I was, I was just trying to energize or bunny for Jesus, uh, according to the, uh, uh, the Western culture pace, not according to the spirit of Jesus pace. And you know what that left me with? Zero. Zero inside. What good is it if I'm out sharing the gospel with people and I'm, almost said it, I'm mad. (laughs) I'm pissed off. Can I say that in church? You know why? Because I'm not really, really, really being nurtured by Jesus. And, And you see, when we get exhausted... It's because we push past our limits, our God-given limits. And we try, it's not that we've given so much that we have nothing left. We didn't have anything in there in the first place, and we tried to give off an empty tank. And then we wonder why we fight with with our spouses. And we wonder why we're in all kinds of relational turmoil. And we wonder why we get mad when people don't listen to us. When people don't want to hear what we got to say. I I could keep going, but basically, very recently, I had another epiphany of this. Where God, I I believe he clearly said to me, I need you to be close to me. Not doing a bunch of stuff for me, being close to me. And doing a bunch of stuff out of being close to me. Amen? That's totally different. And so I've, had, I've, I've started to adopt this whole thing of silent prayer. I'm not talking to God in my head when I do that. I'm sitting before God in silence and solitude just being loved by him. And loving him in return and then starting to love myself over even the way he loves me. Because, friends, all of us in here in some degree or another struggle with self-hatred. We struggle with it. Even if it's just a little bit, we don't like something about ourselves. We don't believe we're loved or lovable. And so, friends, if you want to live an intimate, uh, if you want to, if you want a life of fruit bearing, especially in evangelism, you need a life of loving union with Jesus. And one of the practices to get it is silent prayer. Another one is the slow reading of Scripture. Not the fast, oh, just plunging through these chapters, just beasting my, my Bible in a year plan. No, the slow down pace of reading scripture. Where you camp out on a word or a phrase and you just savor it until it goes deep. And it starts to take root in you. And it begins to make you act different. Talk different. Feel different about yourself and others. And ultimately know that God loves you. And so I've been doing this slow reading of Scripture, and I, I, like sometimes I don't even get past a chapter. There's so much in there to marinate on. And so silent prayer, slow reading of Scripture. What about the Sabbath? We just throw the Sabbath out. Like it's not one of God's commandments. It takes up the biggest space of God's Ten Commandments. It is a command, and all of those are for us, and thankfully Jesus kept them perfectly on our behalf, and we get the credit for them, but now through the Spirit of God, we do them too. 
we 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 obey God, right? And the fourth and 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 the Sabbath command is a gift that God gives you. A 24-hour period set apart for God where you stop, you rest, you delight, and you contemplate God's love towards you coming at you from every good thing in his creation. Like when is the last listen When is the last time you just slowed down and took a sip of coffee? And you're like, 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 like really took a sip of coffee. And notice your taste. Notice the taste of the coffee. Okay, maybe you don't like coffee. When's the last time you just you took a slow bite of food and you just savored it? Or, or maybe you were out on a walk, and like right now I'm seeing this like green grass out there, right? And forget the blight. Like the blight is everywhere, right? But there are lilies everywhere amid the blight, friends. Not just the blight in our neighborhood, the blight everywhere in life. There are lilies to look for. And friends, Sabbath is one of those things when we rest and we quit pushing past our limits, we begin to wake back up to God's goodness and his creation. Amen? And friends, I'm just I'm I'm just a fellow struggler trying to show you where the bread's at. All right. I, I don't have this down. But one thing I do know when it comes to evangelism and here's how it all comes back around is that I can't give what I don't possess. I can't I can't expect I'm living at warp speed and you know what I'm doing? I'm warping my soul and so are you. And so no wonder we don't share the gospel and wonder we don't bring new people to church because I don't even want to be with people sometimes because I'm so dead inside at times. I could keep beating this point, but friends, what I want to say is this. Philip's life teaches us that the primary way we learn to be Jesus's evangelist is by learning to live in loving union with Jesus first and let the evangelism flow because it will. It will. We learn that from Philip. So that's the first way we can learn to be Jesus's evangelist. It's the foundation of everything. It's learning to live in loving union with him. And then there's a second way. It builds right on top of that. Remember the building blocks. We can learn to be Jesus's evangelist in this second way. Since personal evangelism is Jesus's way, the second way we can learn to best How best to be his evangelist is by learning to immediately respond to his word. Living in loving union with him so that I can actually hear his voice and respond with immediacy. Notice how we see this in Philip in this text. In verse 26, that'll be the key, but right before verse 26, the passage that comes before the text we're looking at, Philip has just been doing what Philip does. Opening up his mouth and talking to people about Jesus. And when he did it, nearly the entire city of Samaria gave their life to Christ. Like it was a revival, Miss Edith. Like folks were screaming and hollering for this one magic, black magic dude before. And then all of a sudden, they don't want nothing to do with him. They're praising Jesus. What? All because a personal evangelist came in that was living in loving union with Jesus 
And he just opened up his mouth and spoke and things happened. And so. But it's crazy what happens. Watch how in step Philip is with with God, because he saw all this evangelistic fruit around. Right. This revival is in front of him. And then listen to what we're told in verse 26. An angel of the Lord said to Philip, here's my interpretation, Philip, I want you to leave all of this fruit, like leave the revival, like revival in your rearview mirror. And I want you to go 60 miles south, down from Jerusalem to a place called Gaza, where there is actually very few people for you to preach to. Indeed, maybe even only one. Tons of fruit, like loud revival, go to one person. Would any of us do that? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I would do that. Like, turn away from a revival, go share with one guy. Crazy, but that's how much Philip listened to Jesus. Because he was living in union with Jesus in the first place, or otherwise he wouldn't have heard him. And neither would we. You see, friends, don't miss what this would have been like. Imagine if this whole room was packed with people like like we shoulder to shoulder, like we got to We got to turn it down from 70 to 60 because it's hot up in here. Folks get stanking breath and everything like like it is hot. It's packed to the brim. Pastor Chris is on the Hammond. We got the team up here. Barry, see, Gary, he's like, you playing the bass in this. So he's playing the bass like we are jamming in here. Everybody's on their feet. Everybody's praising God. And then next thing you know, lo and behold, Dr. Tony Evans himself comes up to the pulpit and he begins to just preach the paint off the walls. Like folks all over the place are left and right giving their lives to Christ, getting saved. And not only that, people that have been turning away from God, like going the other way, worshiping idols, beginning to drift, they just start repenting out loud, like confessing their sins, giving their lives to the Lord. Like it is a, it is a, a place of rescue and restoration. And then imagine Dr. Evans slams his Bible shut. He walks off the stage, goes straight out the door, and just leaves this whole revival behind him. That's what happened here. He tells, he tells Dr. Evans, hey, Tony, that was dope. But I want you to travel 60 miles away from the east side, just past Windsor, Ontario. I got an assignment there for you. It's pretty small, though. Might only be like one guy. That's what happened. That's what we see in this text. That's something of what Philip was going through. And do you know, we don't see Philip complain at all. Nope. Philip does what he's told. Watch this now. As shocking a word this was to Philip, even more surprising was Philip's immediate response to the word. Take a look at verse 26 and following. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south. It's just what I said to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Then notice verse 27. So he started out 
Another translation says, so he got up and went. You don't see any question asking. You see immediate responding. Brothers and sisters, what are we learning here? We're learning that Philip lived in loving union with Jesus. And because he lived in loving union with Jesus, he could slow down and hear what Jesus was saying. And not only hear it, but immediately respond to it. You see, because that's what it looks like when people are living in a close, intimate relationship with the king. They just want to obey the king. Not out of drudgery, out of the motivation of joy. That's what Philip did. But it just keeps getting better. Notice, to Philip's surprise, he comes across the most unusual person he's ever seen in his life. Now, we'll talk about the details of this encounter here in a moment, but just notice Philip's continued response to King Jesus. In verses 29 and 30, notice verse 29. The Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. That's all he said. He didn't say go near it and talk. He just said go stay near it. Because God knew if he could get Philip close enough, To hear what this eunuch was doing, Philip would talk. And you would too, if you're living in that type of union. So then Philip ran up, verse 30, to the chariot. He didn't walk up. He didn't skip up. He ran up. Now, Mac, what does Philip show us? He shows us that we learn best how to be Jesus's evangelist through learning to respond to his word immediately. And we can't even do that if we're not slowing down to actually be with Jesus. The slowing down piece is key. Because if you're moving too fast. I mean, if you were to draw two circles, one circle described all of your doing, like everything you do in a week. Okay, I got this from a pastor. You do the circle on the one side, say it's on the left, is the doing circle. The circle on the right is the being with Jesus circle. What's how big would those circles be? If your circle of being with Jesus is anything smaller than your doing circle for Jesus, then your life's out of balance. And of course, you don't want to share the gospel or do anything else very Christian. Because you're out of balance. And friends, I'm not preaching to you what I don't see in my own life. This happens to me as a pastor. And you see, friends, Philip was nothing special. He just lived close to Jesus. He got the balance thing a little bit better. His circles were about the same. And so his doing flowed out of deep being. Deep being, friends, is what we need. You see, imagine this. Imagine an entire church body, okay? This entire church body. Imagine if all of us slowed down the pace of our lives, like probably cut a few things off our schedule, like that we don't need to give our time to. We're just pushing over our limits. They're just, excuse me to say this, dead weight. 
Cut it off your schedule because Jesus is more important. Imagine if we slowed down the pace of our lives enough to make time, like a lot of space even, for Jesus time. I'm not talking about kumbaya sessions or I'm not even talking about like Bible study. I'm just talking about slowing down in silence and solitude to just be in his presence. And of course, the presence of the father, because you know what the father says to you in that time? Always before an open heaven, what he said to Jesus when he came up out of the water, when he was baptized, you are my beloved my beloved son, my beloved daughter, with whom I'm well pleased. And we need that pouring over us constantly. And I don't know exactly what Philip's spiritual formation habits were like, but I know he somehow got Jesus in. And we need to somehow get Jesus in. And imagine if we just slowed down our pace to get Jesus in deep. Imagine the type of gift we would be to others. We're talking about evangelism. So imagine the type of evangelistic gift you would be to others. If you just were able to slow down, be with Jesus so that you actually had Jesus to give. And oh, yeah, you actually could hear him prompting you. I don't know what it sounds like to you. I just know when Jesus is telling me I need to talk to that guy. And I can't walk by. I have to, but I only do it when I'm with him. And so many times I've walked by that guy because my life was eaten up by my own sin or my own just exhaustion. And yours is too, friends. You don't see your neighbors either. And that's why we see blue seats in here. That's the truth. And I'm not shaming. I'm just saying the truth. This place would be packed. And it's not. And it's not. It's not until we're in union with Jesus. That we are a gift to our own selves. Our own closest people around us. And then our neighbors. Amen. That's when we hear him. That's when we respond to him. I got to move on, though, or I'll never get to the last part. (laughs) So we learn best how to be Jesus's evangelist, first and foremost, by learning to live in loving union with him. And second, by learning to immediately respond to his word when we're in this union. Which leads us now to the third way this text shows us we can learn best how to be Jesus's evangelist. From the top, since personal evangelism is Jesus's way, we can learn best how to be his evangelist through learning to compassionately share him with outcasts. Philip was in union with Jesus so he could hear Jesus's promptings. And he could notice the outcasts around him. And friends, all of us in here, in some form or fashion, apart from Christ, are outcasts. You know, there's people in society who actually wear the outcast hat. Like the quartet of the vulnerable, like like the the poor and oppressed when we say that. There's a specific way we can say that. But then there's also a general way that when you look at a poor and oppressed person, you 
have to see yourself in the mirror of their eyes because you are just as bankrupt, if not materially, spiritually. And you see, friends, Philip had slowed down enough in all the stuff he was doing for Jesus to be able to hear Jesus and notice this guy he meets. It's amazing. Picture the scene. In response to Jesus' word, he runs up to this mysterious chariot riding along the desert road. And friends, don't miss what that would have been like. It would have been like this. Imagine, Drenth, I, I like, because I played hockey, I call people by their last name, Drenth, okay? I'm saying that to both of you, okay? Let's say the Drenth family was to hear Jesus say, okay, think about this. Let's say you were to get a message right now that said in 30 seconds, Denzel Washington or Viola Davis, their limo is about to speed by Mac, okay? And imagine that you heard this word and both of you, you got on your double seat, okay? This is a double seat. You both get on your double seat 10 speed, okay? Ring, ring, that thing, you know, the little thumb thing. And you'll go right up to, to their, their motorcade, okay? And you get real close and you knock on the window. Denzel, it's me. Viola, it's me. That's what Philip just did. You say, how is that? This dude was dig. He was a dignitary. This Ethiopian guy, he was royalty. In a minute, we'll talk about it. He was powerful and wealthy. And he happened to be on this same road. And there was an evangelist there who lived close to Jesus. And he could hear Jesus. And he went and talked to him. We'll talk about that in a moment. But I just want you to I just want you to notice four things about four striking characteristics about this man that Philip meets in the chariot. Notice first that the man Philip meets in this chariot is unusual. Unusual, that is, to Philip, because this man was Ethiopian. He was from the farthest northernmost edge of Africa. Sudan is the modern place that this man is from. He would have been the this is what it was. He would have been the blackest person Phillips ever met in his entire life. Truth. This man would have been unusual to Philip. Not 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 unimportant. Don't hear me say that. Unusual. Philip never seen anybody like this in his life. Not only was he unusual, he was also powerful and wealthy. We're told in verse 27, Luke says he was the CFO, the chief financial officer of the queen of Ethiopia. Like the dude was in charge of all the kingdom's money. You get that? That's who Philip ran into. It was like one of you running into the president, walking out of Mac. Like powerful and wealth. 
he, he held status in the Ethiopian courts. We'll leave it at that. But not only was he unusual, not only was he powerful and wealthy, he was also religious. You say, how do we know he was religious? Well, if you look at verse 27, the end of verse 27, and all of verse 28, you notice that Luke wants us to know that this man was on his way back from where? Jerusalem from worshiping. He was on his way back. And, like, get this in your mind. You know how far Jerusalem was from where he lived? It would have taken him five months. 1,000 miles. That's how dedicated he was to travel there. Like, this guy was going to worship, most likely at one of the major Jewish feasts being held in Jerusalem. And there was something that attracted him about the Jewish God and his ways. Probably because he had seen nothing but false gods and the practices that flow, the unjust practices that flow from it. But there was something unique about the Jewish God, the God of Israel. And so verse 30 also tells us he's religious because he's reading what? The prophet Isaiah, which I mind you, scrolls were very expensive. Why did he buy Isaiah? And Isaiah is a huge book, 66 chapters. That meant this guy would have probably had a 100 foot scroll on his lap. And, and it's safe to assume this was this dude's reading. This was his entertainment on his long trip home. Suffice it to say that. You see. There was something that attracted him about the God of Israel, the creator of all things. More about that in a moment. But not only was he unusual, not only was he powerful and wealthy, not only was he religious, but this dude, this is what dominated his life the most. Because Luke tells us five times, Miss Edith, that this guy was a eunuch. That's what dominated. That's what defined him. He was a eunuch. You know what a eunuch is? I can't go into the details, but this guy lost, somehow lost, his manhood. Get that for a second. And it's hard to even do it justice. We aren't told why, how, or when this happened. But what we do know is this, that this was a common practice amongst royal officials that worked closely with women. And we don't have time to go into all the details, but one thing is for certain. All the studies say that eunuchs in this guy's time were the scum, viewed as the scum of society. They were part of the group of men in society. Well, wait a minute. We can't even call them men. We can't even call them women. So I got it. We'll call them weirdos. They were the weirdos. That's what they were labeled as. Bizarre. Weirdo. That's who he was. You see, this man, if this man, he was so broken. Get this. If he was a building, he'd be a pile of crumbs and ashes. He was that broken. He was so broken. He had a broken relationship with society. 
in one sense, he's powerful and wealthy. But it's because of a defect. They were using him to their advantage. It was because of a defect he had that made him be able to work closely in the royal courts amongst women. He was powerful and wealthy at the price of his own humiliation. And so in one sense, he's accepted in the courts. Think about how confusing this is. In another sense, he's not even accepted at all in society. He didn't know what to do with himself. And not only that, he had a broken relationship with God and a broken relationship with the church. Because Deuteronomy 23.1 says, eunuchs were prohibited from even coming in the temple, let alone interacting with anybody, generally speaking, in society. So this man was broken. He had a broken relationship with society. He had a broken relationship with the church and with God. He had an unholy... You see, in the Old Covenant, it was all about your ritual degree of holiness. So if you were externally, ritually speaking, clean, you could come into the temple to worship because God was putting on display symbolically that he is holy and nothing unclean can be in his presence. And this man had a deformity, an unholy defect that prevented him from being in the presence of this God that somehow he was attracted to. And so how could he do it? And not only that, he has just traveled 1,000 miles to worship this God, knowing all the while that when he gets there, he will not be able to even step foot in his presence. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. And so he had a broken relationship with society. He had a broken relationship with God and the church, and that made him have a broken relationship with himself. You know, oppressed people... Let me tell you something I've learned about people that are oppressed. Their oppression begins to go inside of them. Begins to intern- they begin to internalize the way that they are treated in society. And they begin to feel less human to the point where their identity is in a crisis. And it's not their fault. And here's the thing. I'd be surprised if this man never even thought about suicide a time or two. Never even thought about just giving, just taking my life. Because I'm, I'm, who am? I don't even know who I am. And I don't belong. And everywhere I go, I don't belong. I'm like this all the time. And yet I'm being used in the castle for, to take care of the money? At the expense of my own unholy defect. This guy's life was a mess. You see, this broken outcast of a man was like an unloved stepchild. Longing to be loved and to be lovable. Longing to belong. And you know what that's like. You know in some way, shape, or form of a time in your life, or maybe even recent, or maybe right now, where you feel like you don't, like you're not worthy of love. Like you're not loved by God, and you're not lovable. Like you're not loved or lovable by society. You're not loved 
There's something about you. Maybe it's something with your physical appearance. Maybe it's something nobody even knows about. And if they did, you wouldn't even be allowed. I don't know where. I don't know what the defect is. I just know we live in a fallen world. And we all struggle, just like this man, to want love and to be lovable. I just want to get you in his shoes. Can I get you in his shoes so you know that you connect with this guy? Even if you've been a Christian since the time you came out of the womb. If you don't know that, you don't know. You don't know how fractured your life has been, and you don't know how close a call you've always been in. You don't know how you don't know you don't know how quickly God could just can I say it let you just go to hell. Friends, listen to God's word. But right here in the midst of his un, of his brokenness, in the midst of his complete holistic bankruptcy, Philip steps in his life. And of all the things that this man could have been doing when Philip meets him, he happens to be reading, ding, 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 Isaiah. Why is that intriguing? Because he's not only reading Isaiah, he's reading a section in Isaiah that culminates in chapter 56. And you know what it says? God is welcoming all kinds of outcasts in his new kingdom. And get this, even eunuchs are invited in. Even eunuchs are, wait, this would have made this guy's heart melt like butter. I'm telling you, friends. You see, for as long as he could remember, he's been the stepchild longing to just be included. Longing to just have a seat at the table. But how on earth was God going to fulfill such a great promise? And the answer to that question is in the text that he happens to be reading, chapter 53. You say, I I don't know, like, this is a cool story, but when am I going to meet somebody that just happens to be reading Isaiah? (laughs) Like, I just walk in and he's reading. There's people that are spiritually interested, even just like this in your life. That's how it connects. Maybe they're not reading Isaiah, but God is somehow around them or on their mind. You see, he's reading chapter 53 of Isaiah. And that's intriguing because that talks all about a mysterious suffering servant. Before that mysterious suffering servant even died. Remember, this is a prophecy. And the New Testament says that suffering servant's name is Jesus. More about Jesus in a moment, but He wants to know who is this suffering servant figure who suffers not for his own sins, but for the sins of his people, even though he's innocent? Yes. And so they have a brief exchange, Philip and this broken man. And in verse 34, after he's invited up into the chariot, the eunuch pleads with Philip, tell me who this person is is this the prophet isaiah or is this talking about someone else 
He asked Philip, you see, this broken man had the box of treasure in his lap. The Bible. The box containing the treasure. But he didn't have the interpretive key. He didn't have the interpretive key, not only for the Bible, but his entire life. And friends, that interpretive key not only unlocks the treasure of Isaiah 53, but the entire Bible. And that key, Philip happens to be in loving union with. He happens to hear his voice and respond to him immediately because that key is none other than Jesus Christ. And so Philip says, here's the key. That's what he does. He gives him the key. You see, the very one that rescued Philip, the very one that restored Philip, Philip gave. You see, in verse 35, we don't know how Philip exactly proclaimed the good news, but we do know this. That he, he might have said something to this tune, that this guy you're reading about, I'll tell you who he is, this suffering servant figure, his name is... Jesus Christ. He is the son of God. He is. This is the greatest act of injustice anybody could ever commit. God is crucified on the cross. God came down to fulfill his promise. How did he do it? By being crucified on the cross. That's how. Friends. The one that was despised and rejected like the eunuch all his life and in some way, shape or form like you. Nonetheless, bore our suffering and was pierced for our transgressions. Yes, this one is none other than Jesus Christ, and he was crucified, not for his own sins, but for the sins of broken people like you and me. Who put him there in the first place, all of our sins nailed him there. And all of the evil of the world that is outside of you that's against you, put them there. Not just your own personal sin, but the sin of those committed against you. And this man needed that kind of holistic redemption. The kind of redemption that frees you from the shame and guilt of your family of origin and everything that's ever happened to you. Not just your own personal sin, everything. Because you see, when this God comes in, he reconciles you to himself. He reconciles you to yourself. He reconciles you to others. And he reconciles you to the rest of creation. You see, friends, we don't need just any old. And this eunuch didn't need just any old redemption. He didn't need a spiritual redemption that meant he was going to go to heaven one day. He needed good news right now where the shoes he was living in. Because we're not told if he was ever healed from his defect. But, oh, he was healed. He was healed from the ultimate defect. And friends, he was so excited about giving his life to Jesus that it says in verse 36 and 38, he got baptized. He joined the church, the church that didn't let him in before. But, oh, now it did because of the blood. You see, friends, he was allowed in. An outcast was brought to the table that day. And you're an outcast, a filthy outcast who was also brought to a table one day. And friends, if you don't believe that, you don't know the gospel. You don't know the gospel. Because the gospel brings you from an unloved stepchild to a beloved son or daughter of the living God. And you see, verse 40 says, 
This man didn't go away in shame and confusion. He went away singing with great joy in his heart. You know why? Because for the first time, he was made whole. And even if he walked back out in society and they looked at him like scum, he wasn't a part of that kingdom anymore. He was a part of a different kingdom with a different king who happened to be the CFO of creation. That's who his king was. And friends, he went from a beloved. He went, he went as a beloved son of God to be, if history is correct, the first black missionary to Africa. There's a whole nother sermon in that. Friends, if history is true, this guy lit up Africa for Christ. Not white missionaries coming in. No, a black missionary from Africa going in and giving the good news. You see, friends, why could Philip, how could Philip do this? Because he slowed down to live in loving union with Jesus. So much so that he could hear him, respond to him immediately, and know an outcast when he saw one. And he could see himself right in the mirror of this guy's face. And you got it too if you're going to give it. All you got to people who are crying and don't know God. They may not have tears in their eyes, but they have tears in their hearts and they're broken and they need Jesus. And you can't compassionately give them Jesus, Gary, if you're not in loving union with Jesus. If I'm not in loving union with Jesus, we're not a gift. So let me just close with this. I, I don't even know if I said what was on there. But who cares? Let me tell you, let me end with this story. James, that's the name of this story. James was sitting in a parking lot one night. And he was having a conversation with this outcast. And James knew he was a fellow outcast at one point. And so there was, he knew he was a sinner saved by grace. So he wasn't any better than this man. And James happened to be living in loving union with Jesus. And James happened to be keenly aware when Jesus was prompting him. And so in immediacy, as he's having this conversation, he knew nothing else to do but to give him who he needed so desperately in his own life. He gave him Jesus. And this man was restored. This man, broken down, beaten and battered by his own sins and the sins of this world, was risen up out of death into life. He was restored with God. He was restored with himself. He no longer hated himself. He actually began to love himself the way the Father loved him. He he now related to people differently, even if they hated him. And he was restored with the rest of God's creation. And friends, his name is Pastor K. And that's the only reason I'm standing here is because somebody who had Jesus all inside of them and could hear him spoke to me about him. And he spoke to one of you about him. And that's the only reason you're here. Don't forget, 
that there's others out there that need to know where the bread's at. And if you got some bread, go give it to them. But you can't if you don't have the bread inside of you, the bread of life. So slow down to be with him. So you can hear him and respond with immediacy to him. And so that you can compassionately give him out to outcasts just like yourself. Amen. Since Jesus is all about evangelism, we ought to be his evangelists. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your good news. Your good news that we need so desperately. We need its challenge and we need its peace. But most of all, we need its person. We need your son. Because when we're in your son, we're the most alive to you. We begin to function differently. We begin to actually start talking about who we love. So would you come and by your spirit take this, the food of your word. The food of your word, which, which we're about to see and taste in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And would you cause it to bear fruit for eternity? Would we, would we change up the pace of our lives and schedules? And would our circles match our doing circles? Would our being circle be like our doing circle? So that we actually become a gift to people and not death. God, I don't know what needs to happen. I just, I just know you gave me a word and I gave it out and I just pray you do with it 30, 60, 100 fold more than what I threw out. Because God, we scatter the seeds and you cause them to be watered and grown. And so would you take this word and do what only you could do through your power working in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said...